Greetings and salutations and welcome back to Black Women Voices. On today's episode, we are talking with Dr. Ray Lundy, a licensed clinical psychologist, mental health activist, TEDx speaker, and the Associate Vice President for Student Health Counseling and Wellness at Wally College. Her mission is to improve psychological health and well-being within communities of color by engaging in honest conversations about self-care, fostering healing dialogue, and reducing mental health stigma. Dr. Lundy has received several grants, including the Rising Young Scholars Award from the American Association of Blacks in Higher Education. She serves on several boards, most prominently Stand Up, Speak Out, a national nonprofit created to survivors of sexual trauma. So sit back as we dive into this conversation on self-care. All right, welcome back to Black Women Voices. We are episode seven. And we are talking about self-care today. And before I introduce our lovely guest, I want to pay homage to my co-host. So I am Dr. K. And I'm Ann. Valerie J. Hey, hey, it's Jasmine. Yes, yes, ladies. We are all here and we are talking about self-care today. And it couldn't come at a better time with Big Rona. Yes. Yeah. Um, Rona. <laughs> Rona. Rona. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited about our guest today, who is a clinical psychologist, the self-care doc herself, Dr. Yes. Ray Lundy. How are you? I am doing pretty well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. We're excited to have you. We're, we really are. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just jump into this conversation about self-care. First of all, clinical psychologists, right? Yes. Black woman. <laughs> what does that all mean and look like for you? Wow. Um, a clinical psychologist looks like I am... The friend that people come to talk to when they need support. I am the administrator who is called in to manage crises on campus. I am the um, the speaker who is asked to talk about a variety of things. People, as a clinical psychologist, you have a breadth of knowledge, um, and I am, as a black woman, I am, um, I am multidimensional. I am strong. I am vulnerable. I am uh, ever growing, changing. Um, I am supportive, encouraging. I think one of the the adjectives to describe me as a black woman and a psychologist is supportive, encourager, listener. so those are the things that come up for me when you ask uh, about being a psychologist and being a black woman. And I think in the midst of COVID-19, I think being a black psychologist is, I think we're going to need more people who look like me doing the work that we do, because this is definitely going to impact us emotionally, um, even more so now than I think we have an understanding. Right. So. so you're dope. You're pretty much dope. Oh, basically, that's what I heard. Exactly. (laughs) Right. Super dope. Is super dope a word? It's it's real. We're going to go with that. (laughs) 
<laughs> so let's get into this whole conversation of self-care and what that looks like for black women um okay. and more particularly black women in higher ed yeah let's do it um so I, the first thing I would say is that self-care has to be intentional for Black women in higher education and Black women in general. Uh, oftentimes, self-care becomes the afterthought, and we say we don't have time for it. Right. Um, and then that becomes the barrier. That means we continue to put ourselves on the back burner and put everyone else's needs before ours. So the very first thing I would say is that self-care is intentional, particularly for um, Black women in higher education. Um, I'm sure you all can agree that we become we become other mothers and mentors to our students. And so sometimes the administrative things we have to get done, the students that we have to support, um, the committees we sit on, the like, all of these other things come first. And then at the end of the day, when it comes to taking care of ourselves, um, we can be so drained and depleted that we don't have anything left. So we have to be intentional. I would say for um, black women in higher education, self-care should also come without shame. Uh, shame, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking you all know who Brene Brown is. Brene Brown talks a lot about um, how we need to let go of shame and how it keeps us stuck. Um, and I believe for black women, in particular, we've been taught that we have to have um, the superwoman complex and we have to have our cape on all the time. And if we have a moment where we just need to breathe, um, we are sometimes shamed for that. So I think in higher education as well, uh, self-care has to be unapologetic and without shame. Um, and so intentional, unapologetic, without shame. And then I would say the last thing, um, I would say it needs to be consistent. If you're like me, and, and perhaps like most people too, we start our seasons, whether it's the beginning of the academic year, whether it's the beginning of the calendar year, we start and we have a routine going and then we might fall, things might fall by the wayside. So uh, being con continuous or consistent with it, I think helps us to make it a, a habit or a part of our routine versus the afterthought. So those are some of the things that I would highlight. And I think especially in these times, now we're, of course, due to COVID, everyone's at home and working from home. Um, and if anybody is anything like me, it's almost like your work has doubled. It has. It absolutely has. The, the misnomer was we were going to somehow be more relaxed at home. And maybe we're still in our PJs or, you know, we, if we're keeping it honest, right, we have, we're dressed from the, the, the head, the top up, but we, we still are, the computer doesn't turn off, mm -hmm. right? Like you, you go to the bathroom, you come back, you have emails and you're, it's, so I definitely feel in some ways more stressed or more pressure. Right. Especially because I feel like for me, particularly, <laughs> normally you have a place where you go and you do your work. And then when you leave that place, you can leave your work there. There's a separation, right? Yes, there is no separation. There's no separation of time, room. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. mm -hmm. I was just gonna say, that's where we get back to. So I was talking about self-care for black women in general in higher education, but that first one I said was intentionality. Now our intentionality has to be even more like the priority um, mm -hmm. and we have to plan it out because you're right. I had a, um, 
hilarious. So I did an Instagram live wellness Wednesday. So we used to do wellness Wednesdays, obviously in person with our students. But now we've um, taken uh, wellness Wednesdays to IG live. And one of our, um, our director, director of library services, um, she was vulnerable and said that now some of her intentional separation is um, getting on Facebook while on the toilet because that was the only place she could get some privacy. Of yeah. course we laughed, yeah. but there's some, there's a sad, that's like that there's a, it's a, it's funny, but not really. Right. right. That the only place you can be by yourself is when you're going to the bathroom. Yeah. So. If you have kids and a dog like me, you don't even get privacy there. <laughs> and, and how, and how do you do that? Right. I mean, I, I literally had a conversation of, okay, so we're preaching self-care upper administration. Mm -hmm. We preach that. But then what does that look like in practice when you have emails that are not stopping that, you know, like where maybe you would work until seven, you're getting emails that come in all the time. And what people mm -hmm. were factoring in was the students reacting to this whole online switching and all of that. That's just, it's, it's chaos. Mm -hmm. and so I like, how, 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 how do you do that? You know, like how, I mean, institutions are preaching it. But how can mm -hmm. they practice it when there's a business model that still needs to function? Yeah. Well, I think the business model that's functioning, though, it's also shifting as well. So we have to acknowledge that, right? The business model said we, we still, when we were in the office, we still were able to at least maybe, I don't know, varying from seven to 10, at least at some point you could cut it off. I think now we have to re, we have to establish some new boundaries. So that's that's essentially what we're talking about is what are the boundaries um, and who gets to articulate those boundaries, right? So if we're in, in higher education, if we are in roles, in leadership roles, then we need to be intentional about articulating those for those who we support on our teams. Um, and then if, in, and then for um, talking to our own leadership being able to articulate that these are my boundaries and then having a dialogue or a conversation about does that fit within the scope of what they're seeing as as what we need to be doing so in some sense it's a it's a conversation i think that's what i'm asking us to do is to have more conversation about it versus um uh anecdotally uh stating that something is important let's actually put it on the agenda of our weekly staff meetings or our Zoom calls. I think it has to show up other than just um, the lip service. One of the intentional ways I do that with my staff has been to, so we have daily, um, we, we, I feel like we're Zooming all the time, right? Just to make sure we're getting, getting, the, assign, getting the tasks, establishing the goals. Well, one of those meetings is usually, um, well, at the beginning of the meeting, we're doing check-in wellness checks. And at some point during the week, one of those meetings looks like it's, it's, um, it's work-related, but it's also more about the person and how the person is doing and what we as a team can do to support each other. So that's one way that I've been trying to do it. Uh, but I think it is difficult. And I, and I hear you that we're all in, we're trying, to, trying to figure out how do we structure how do we create structure? Because that's what we're doing. When things shifted, the part of Corona that is 
creates the most anxiety and that's the scariest for everybody is that we don't have any structure and we didn't know what to expect. Now we reduce anxiety by creating boundaries and limits um, and being clear with others about what those boundaries are. I totally agree with you, Dr. Ray, because, you know, I'm going to be honest and probably singular in saying that I am not working doubly as hard because okay. I just said I'm not I'm not going like I appreciate <laughs> you so much. not going you right like I'm going to do what I can and when I leave this office mm-hmm. I, I leave yes Yes. I'm no longer at work. I, so I, I'm, I'm reading this book called Atomic Habits by James Clear right now. Mm-hmm. And one thing that he talks about is your environment and like setting different environments for different yes. things. It's hard when you work from home, right? It really can be hard. Um, and so I'm just interested in your thoughts around what are some ways we can do self-care? Because, you know, in the past, we have looked at those things like going to get your hair done and your nails mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And honestly, there are some people in a in a huge panic mm-hmm. because they're not getting their hair done and their nails done. I can be asked, honest; my nails are like holding on here. I took here. my nails off, and I, I said, on. "I said, you know what? <laughs> I'm not going to do it." But I have people who have literally said, "You know." I I can't go outside. I don't want to be on Zoom call. Like they they they're just feeling like th- that was their self care and mm-hmm. anymore. So what are some things that that yeah. you know you're thinking that we can do? So you when you talked about uh, your workspace and 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 um, you being not working doubly as hard because you created a workspace. I want to go back to that. Uh, because it reminds me of um, the eight dimensions of wellness. So when you look at the eight dimensions of wellness, what you're going to see is that there is environmental wellness, intellectual, social, spiritual, financial. So there are these components um, that if we are uh, in tune and aware of how well we're taking care of ourselves in those areas, then then we manage anxiety. And then it almost gives us a measure of our own self-care. And so when it comes to environmental wellness, creating boundaries for you, Jazz, we want to, for you, be intentional about finding the space in your house where that is where you do work. Even if it's hard for your, for your kids and your dog to stay away, you still want to create for yourself what you can control, that environmental wellness component. Um, essentially, each of those areas in this moment of Corona, we're going to have to reimagine what those areas look like. Um, so we still can get our nails done, which would be physical, um, the physical dimension of self-care. Uh, but it might mean getting our nails done at the house because we've ordered that kit off Amazon that will allow us to, you know, do the... <laughs> If the physical need really is for um, nails done and hair done, then reimagining, if that's the need, reimagining how you get it, get that need met. I argue though sometimes that maybe we do. Yes, we do want to, um, we want to look um, uh, in a way that, that um, reflects our sense of beauty 
But oftentimes when we say we want to get our nails and our hair done, we really are maybe missing social wellness or intimacy, or we really are missing spiritual wellness um, or intellectual even. Oftentimes, so I use this example of if you had experienced um, an argument or a loss. Let's say you experienced a loss because many of us are experiencing loss right now. Let's say you experienced a loss of someone um, that was close to you and Corona wasn't going on. If you, after hearing that you, your childhood best friend from elementary school um, was sick or, or had passed, getting your nails done and your hair done at that point, even if we were calling that self-care, would not be in the, um, it would not be meeting your specific wellness need and it would not be at what I would consider intentional. If you had a loss of that nature, you might, your wellness need might, at that point might be spiritual. You might need to connect to God as it relates to trying to understand this loss. But sometimes what we do is we get on autopilot and do, well, I'm just gonna go work out. Maybe for some people that is a spiritual or a healthy or connecting experience. But for me, if I, in that experience, that was to lose someone close to me, I would need to be intentional about praying, connecting to God. I would, if I were to get my nails done and my hair done in that instance, that would be, be me avoiding. That would be me numbing. So self-care is is in the literature, or for those of us who are kind of really deep digging into self-care, it can be active or passive. And sometimes getting your nails done and your hair done, hair done I'm not just picking on that because I like to get my nails and hair done or going to the movie, but sometimes those are passive activities. And what you really want to do is be active in the sense that it is directly connected to your, your uh, wellness need in that moment. And so um, I often talk too about the difference between ongoing self-care and self-care in the moment. Self-care can be used day-to-day, moment-by-moment as a way of um, relieving anxiety and stress. And so um, I think future Dr. Edwards, I was trying to say that um, I was wanting you to know that um, one, your ability to set environmental wellness and those boundaries around your space that's extremely healthy. You want to just extend that to the other parts of your life, um, like nails and hair, um, being intentional and knowing specifically what your wellness need is, is going to make it more impactful. So you're preaching a good word today. You really are. Because I will say this, I would never thought that your self care should match really what it is. Your need is right. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Cause yeah. I, because then that means you're more, so that's, I, I share that it's self-care um, is so powerful and it can be a specific intervention tool um, because it is um, more than the passive activities that we've done. And when we think about it just as those passive activities, um, that's why it gets a bad rap and it becomes so cliche and, uh, people feel like we don't have time to do it. When you can see how being intentional will 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 decrease blood pressure, um, help you with your motivation, then then being intentional about uh, the specific wellness strategy or dimension or need that you have, it, it for me it changed my life. I said, oh, okay. So if I get my need met, then. It didn't take my sadness away completely if I had that loss, but what it did 
was it gave me again a sense of control uh, that maybe I felt I didn't have, have, but it also helped me to see where things were outside of my control and it helped me to release and let go. So, but you know what I also hear in that? That's awesome. But but it's interesting because what I also hear in that is kind of to be flexible Mm. with with all of that and not to kind of like this, this stamp of this is what's going to happen in order. This is, this is what I need in order to make me feel whole right now. And, and to whatever is going to make me feel good because this is what happened in the past, but to really be flexible. But you said something, you know, kind of a little bit ago um, that really kind of makes me want to connect it to that. And kind of this idea of the strong black woman or kind of, um, or the, you know, hashtag black girl magic. Cause I think sometimes when we talk about that, we don't always talk about that with the lens of self-care and how that kind of works in opposition. So then if you already know that you kind of work with and operate kind of with this other mothering and rescuing and being everything and anything to everyone else, how to, h- how do you resist that so that your self-care is, pri- is, is primary? And mm. those other and those other duties as assigned, or other duties that you kind of take on as being a black woman, that that doesn't kind of overtake you as a mm-hmm. regarding mm-hmm. your self care. I think we do what you just said, which is be we have to learn to be flexible. Um, if you all are familiar with the four agreements, um, yes. <laughs> so the four agreements um, gives these four different principles upon which to live life. Uh, be impeccable with your word. Don't take things personally. I always forget the third one. Somebody help me out with the third one. Do you, um, uh, impeccable with your word. Never take anything personal. But the last one, nonetheless, don't, make assumptions. don't make assumptions. Yes. But the last one, future Dr. Thompson is, um, the last one is always do your best. Um, but it talks about how your best is, it, it changes. So when you're saying the, the, that you heard in my um, statement about being flexible um, and always doing your best is a reflection of this idea of being flexible, I think as administrators and as Black women, we have to know that we can be, we are Black girl magic and we are super women in a sense, but, but, that, but that that will look different from day to day. Um, so what, what is strong for me today, if in the midst of COVID, COVID-19, what it looks like for me to be strong is a lot different than it looked like for me when I competed in a tri- triathlon two years ago, right? So I competed in a triathlon two years ago. Um, and since COVID-19 has, has been, and we've been quarantining or social distancing, I've been back exercising. Um, and I've been even running, but let me tell you what I'm not doing is uh, I, I stopped training for this 10 mile race I was training for because my best today in the midst of the stress and the anxiety and the unknown, the best I have some days is just to make sure I move and that and and, and allowing myself to let that be enough um, without judgment. So I think a really a large part is the judgment piece that we tend to do. And so mindfulness principles, if you're familiar with that, talks a lot about non-judging, right? And so if we're able to integrate this sense of, I'm going to be flexible, I'm going to be bomb, black girl magic, but my black girl magic looks different because I have different needs on a day-to-day and my and what looks like strength today 
um, might look different tomorrow. So flexibility, doing your best, but knowing that your best will change and knowing that that is normalizing that. I think what we have to do is to start normalizing essentially being human, right? What we have, we have, um, I don't want to say sensationalized, but we have promoted and propelled a, a, an, an expectation that's not sustainable. It's mm. not sustainable for us to be, even if you think about exercising, which tends to be a self-care strategy, it is not good for your body to, do, to, to go hard and, and let's say you're going to do weights. It doesn't make sense to do weights every day and not rest your body. Literally your body would break down. And so our bodies are an example. That's an example of what we need to be doing emotionally and psychologically. So we just now have to give ourselves permission to do so. Who, who, who got the offering plate? Oh, when is your book coming out? <laughs> <laughs> so now, now let's transition though, because okay, I I would say at the you know at the end of Corona, uh, then that's when my book is going to come out. But then I'm going to be vulnerable and say that you know for the first two weeks, as I saw so many people posting, um, get your podcast off the ground, write your book. Um, you know, there were there, there's this this idea of keeping grind culture going, which is great for some people. But for me, my book will probably come out sometime next year, not at the end of this year with Corona, because I have had to take some time just to recalibrate. Um, the first two weeks for me, I was anxious and I couldn't take care of anybody else's anxiety until I got my own together. Um, and I take that back. We always say that. I was I was still caring for others, but what I had to do was limit my social media. Um, I had to be intentional about reaching out to my best friends. I, I'm an introvert, and I probably, I probably am doing more communication now while we're quarantining and social distancing than I than I did when before all of this. But those weeks of anxiety, it it required me to do that because I tapped into my wellness need um, that I was missing connection. I was feeling isolated, and because I was feeling isolated, I knew I needed to to reach out socially. But then that meant I didn't have time to get up in the mornings and work. Um, on writing my book. It is coming out though. And when it comes out, I will share with you ladies. Yeah. Cause I was, I was joking, but I was totally serious. So I'm, 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 ex- you know what, one of the things that I think that people don't really talk about, I mean, I think we talk about self-care from various um, ways and lenses, but I, I think that you're right. That grind culture and like, mm-hmm. do you know, how can we do more? How can I make sure that I'm getting the my employees? I told everybody on my team, listen, (laughs) (laughs) this is a time, like, I'm going to exercise in the morning. I'm going to eat breakfast. I'm going to take my time. And I I encourage you to do the same. Because at the end of the day, we have to, in order for us to help somebody else, we have got to end grind culture. We just, we just got to do it. I mean, I think that there are things, I think there's different grind culture and really like, pursuing purpose in life yes. and I think in some ways kind of marry the two and we mm-hmm. need to untangle that web and mm-hmm. we're deceiving ourselves and we're creating unnecessary 
um, stress and anxiety. For mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of one, how are we defining, for me, I heard you say, how are we defining success? How are we defining what is productivity and what is purpose? It's a difference between um, uh, movement and purposeful movement, right? So if we're just getting stuff done, but at the end of the day, my spirit and my soul is de- are depleted, at the end of the day, if um, my, the quality of my work, I know for me, when I, in terms of grind culture, as I have often seen it defined, when I went that hard and I was going that way, I didn't produce the best quality work. And I also, I was uh, anxious and insecure in myself. For me, if I can do one or two things really well and those things are impactful, then that for me is, is success versus doing five or six things um, from a from a from an empty cup so i think redefining grind culture everything we've said so far non-judging letting go of shame being flexible being intentional um giving ourselves permission for our own journey we haven't used that language but but essentially uh, you know because i can hear people uh listening i can tell someone might listen to this and say well, when I'm grinding, I'm not coming from a place of insecurity or I'm not coming from a place of feeling depleted. Uh, And so I'm not coming for people who want to, um, who have goals, because I think, I mean, at this stage, we're all in higher education. We are all um, connected to purpose in some way and have goals. So this isn't coming for people who are producing things right now. It's more or less saying, my journey is going to be different. I have to find balance. We all need to be more introspective about what is it that I need in this season. And if what you need is to recalibrate, because I'll be honest, even as the self-care doc, I was, this has been an unexpected moment to breathe for me because I had gotten to a place where if I had gone too much further, I may not have been, um, as emotionally healthy as I like to be. And so as difficult as this has been, um, I have some, you know, I, I lost someone who's who's passed away due to um, COVID-19. Uh, I'm in Texas and my family's all in Georgia. I'm single. And so, you know, we've talked about issues around like, you know, always being inundated with people. For me, Literally nobody's in the house. It's just me all the time. And so that comes with its own challenges. But even in that, this has been a moment to breathe. And so, um, yeah, just really knowing that finding my own balance is important and listening to myself and to, for me, to God, the most high, to see what it is that I'm supposed to be getting. So that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I, I knew the topic was heavy and it was going to be good because you the self-care doc. Gosh, I ain't bring my 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 wallet or nothing for the offering. So <laughs> but you know what? I will say you ladies are also creating community and that is not something that's come up in our conversation so far, but community, um, we are wired for connection psychologically. Uh, it creates a sense of belonging for us. And so... 
what you're doing here um, is a part of the healing that we all need. So keep having these conversations. Um, we need this uh, as we are collectively going through this shift. And so thank you. So you kind of touched on it. Um, we all kind of had a chip in on it in terms of, you know, black women and self-care and what that looks like, whether it's active, passive, but why do you think it's so hard for us as black women to put self-care first? Like, um, and, and, and saying it from a lens of, we're always telling other people to practice it, but when it comes to us, it's kind of like on a back burner. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, go with me here. So I'm immediately what came to mind for me was, um, so I, I think about systemic racism. Right. And we talk often about how systemic racism, if someone who doesn't understand that system, they'll just say, um, well, race, the, the, the colorblind theory, or they'll, they'll look at, um, they'll say, well, why don't you just not worry about what white people are doing? Or, you know, there, everything is equal and all things are fair. And you would then have to explain to someone, well, it's not just about me making the choice to not be racist or, 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 excuse me, prejudiced and a white person not making the choice to be racist. There's a whole system at play. And so I would say the same is, is the case for women. So we can tell a singular woman to make the choice to take care of herself. But if the system continues to promote, um, that we should be, um, engaged in the grind culture, being superwoman or, or super, or the superhero, uh, complex, then we're fighting an uphill battle because then my choice uh, almost uh, isolates me from the community that I need so much. And so if my community is still uh, operating under this other narrative, then I feel as though something is wrong with me. So I think part of the challenge is we, as a, as a Black community, we operate as a we impact each other so much because of our collective nature, collectivist nature. Uh, so I think we have to approach it from a systematic perspective. So we got to do the research on it, right? So to, to appeal to our intellectual selves. So self-care, self-care just isn't anecdotal. Um, we've also, from a systems perspective, we need allies. So in the same way we talk about, you know, racial justice and we talk about allies, we need self-care allies. So we need, um, people in power, who recognize the importance of self-care to give that to the people who work on their team, right? So it can't just be those at a certain, so if we're at a level of VP, AVP, or, you know, we need our leadership um, to be allies for us. Um, and we need men to say, so at, in terms of like the entire community, we need everyone in the community, everybody who's a part of the system, uh, who has some sense of agency to be able to, to make change. So I think um, it's not just one simple answer about why we can't, women can't make it a priority. We don't make it a priority. Sometimes we do make it a priority, but then we have these other competing factors that come against us. And so it's about addressing all of the factors um, and not just telling women, do more self-care, be set better boundaries. Because sometimes even if we do, if we get punished for that, or if you get shamed for that, if you lose your job because you set a boundary and didn't answer an email for that. So it has to, it has to um, come from 
multiple sources. And I think conversations like this help us to know, well, who are the stakeholders, so to speak, if we think about making the change? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think something else to kind of even connected to that, um, because, you know, even within this space and um, Corona, you know, sometimes, you know, people are kind of being forced to kind of make different job decisions because, you know, whether they're getting laid off or some of that. And, you know, it's, it's funny because I had a conversation today with someone about um, asking questions, you know, how, you know, when you're interviewing folks and how did you support your staff when Corona yes. was happening? What, what did, what did self-care look like? Did you, mm-hmm. did you focus on that? You know, and I think kind of what you said just kind of triggered that, that, that kind of. Yeah, because it becomes, so then it becomes a part of our, our, our conversation, not when, ooh, and here's too, this, what you just said made me think about it. Our, our entire conversation has looked at self-care as, as something we do after the fact. It's important. I heard what you just said in terms of answering the question in the interview is that self-care needs to happen all along the way. It needs to happen before we're anxious and stressed. It needs to happen while we're in, in our day-to-day. And then self-care can also happen as a way of recovering from whatever has overwhelmed us. So self-care happens all along the spectrum. And that goes, I think that goes back to you know my idea about intentionality. It happens in the interview room. It happens while you're at work. It happens after work. It just becomes a part of the entire narrative versus an afterthought or at the end, um, kind of reactively. I think that one of the, you know, just along this line, and this is a deeper conversation in terms of self-care because the, I almost feel like people feel pressure from, from the people that they report to, yes. to do more, like, yes. or accountable for themselves you know, in this environment. I mean, but we still have people in higher ed that are actually working on campus. People who are in residence life, who are mm-hmm. still working, who are who are in a deeper environment, or even the people who um, uh, monitoring chat rooms or, or 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 groups of students. And I can feel the heaviness of the anxiety um, yeah. from from these groups. And I and, and I and I agree with you that it, the onus is on. You know, some of those higher ups, it's like sometimes you have to coach up if you can, but, yes. but stuff we shouldn't have to coach up. But we, like, shouldn't. we shouldn't have to. It's a balancing act. I think in terms of trying to answer that question, I feel like we're put in a difficult position because if because many of us, we can't afford to lose our jobs right now, right? We... And if the higher ups need something and they're in, and we are in these critical roles, many of us are, are considered essential staff, right? And so if you're in this critical role, they're going to need it when they need it. Um, but I have found, again, when I created a routine for myself, um, a schedule, again, figuring out what I could control, then I put intentionally throughout my day, listening to music to start my day. Yeah. Um, um, affirmations throughout the day. Like I am one of those people who um, I, I have to work outside of, I've created a workspace, but so I go to and from my workspace, still social distancing, but I walk a couple of times a day. Um, it's me walking to get to where I'm going to work, but in that I'm listening to an audiobook. book. Um, I am 
So I'm, I'm finding that balance between the pressure to get things done from the administration that I know I have to get it done, but also being really intentional about this routine that I've created for myself. And, and throughout that routine is eating, uh, m- meditating, listening to music, listening to audiobooks. It is in there because I know if I, w- I was not doing that, then the anxiety would overtake me. So, and I, because I pride myself on being vulnerable and honest, the, but yeah, in this space, people like the grind culture and we're in, and I believe people truly have joy in what they do. So I don't take that away from them at the same time. My rhythm is different, but I still get the work done. And I think we all can too, if we listen to our own rhythm. Right. But when do you think you got that? Cause, cause to me, that also sounds like that's years of the wisdom and, and recognizing oh. that about yourself. I mean, is that something that you knew as a new professional? No. Or was that something that you recognized from trial and error as well? You know, you, you want to know when I recognized it? Uh, March 11th of 2020. Wow. <laughs> I'm being for yeah. serious. No, 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 no. So when I say I was off, I was leading down to a place of not being balanced um, mm-hmm. before we quarantine and social distance. Oh, I was so, so it actually has been in this space of COVID-19 that I realized my rhythm. I have a, so one of the self-care things I do for myself is I have a career coach. Uh, and we, we just process my, my dreams. I literally, we, we sit and dream. And one of the, um, Oh, self-care is intentional around these parts. I have a therapist. I am a psychologist and I have a therapist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a naturopath. I have a career coach, financial planner. We're trying to get this self-care in. So my career coach and I, though, in um, Dreaming, she, is, she talks a lot about being versus doing. And she talks about working from a place of rest versus resting from work. So I'll say that again. Working from a place of rest versus resting from work so she so when when we have been talking i really knew that this rhythm thing existed i just didn't know how to get it um and there's actually a model since the the nerd kind of researchers and us i will send you all the model that she sent me where they they talk about a pendulum swinging and it and um and finding your rhythm but we overcompensate by working too you know, um, overextension. And then we may feel lazy or inactive at times. And so finding that rhythm is like you said, trial and error, but it forced, I was forced in our COVID-19 experience because as I mentioned, I need my job just like we all do. I knew I had to be productive and I didn't want to shut down. And in order to not shut down, I had to work with work with myself so this is a new thing for me this is not this is it is after having experience and conversations uh but it it is happening in the midst of this crisis i think that with the crisis that's going on of course there's a lot of like negative things that people are pointing out of course you know we have to stay in the house we can't really see all of our friends and family but I honestly feel that there are a lot of positive things that are going to come from this in a sense of you just mentioned, you know, you didn't, you didn't find that rhythm until 
you were forced to. Mm-hmm. But this moment, this situation that we're in is really putting us, putting us all in the mindset of stillness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's making us be still. It's making us face things that we don't normally face. It's making us really think about the things that we do or don't do or, or the, the, the reasons we place behind doing things, but it's not, it wasn't until this here that really sat us down. And so of course, you know, I, I don't, I hate how COVID has taken over in, in many different ways and affecting families and in people's health. But I also see how it's going to, transform a lot of us into the better 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 us Mm -hmm. absolutely we were talking earlier about fighting or, or challenging the system that tells us we have to grind i believe that COVID 19 is a is doing just that it is challenging the system that says we have to grind because in some ways uh, it does you can't there are a lot of the things you you literally are being restricted in certain ways uh, other than our minds so i would say if we could get um if we could find peace and calm and still in our minds that that that'll be the gift uh that can never be taken away from us after this experience if we can find peace of mind stillness uh in our thoughts releasing of the judgment the shame all of those things um will be forever changed because when you change how you think about things then your behavior changes so all the things we're saying about what we have to do we have to meet these deliverables that our bosses are giving us we have to continue to work despite you know these having no limits on the work all of those those are narratives that we've that we have bought into so if we can change the, that narrative, um, you know, e- even the narrative that says, I don't have a choice but to do it this way. We actually do. You're absolutely right. This is changing us for the better. And one of the ways it's changing us is how we think. Yeah. So given all, so, mm, so one of the underlying um topics or themes in season two is this concept of uh vulnerability and it's probably one of the hardest things for me to to deal with even though I know I need to but given you know everything that Jasmine just said in terms of the stillness and having to face things that we normally wouldn't face because we're too busy doing busy work at work or whatever the case may be so how does that let's see how do I want to frame this how does vulnerability show up now, especially for Black women, when we are literally, like Jasmine said, have to deal with things that we normally would deal with because we got other things that we could be doing? Well, vulnerability always requires us to take risks, right? And yeah. so now, even so, even though there is so much unknown there are also some things that are still the same. I said earlier, we're wired for connection. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always, that's a psychological human, it's a human need. Um, and so with vulnerability, it will again require us to take risks. I think the, 
the question becomes what risks are we willing to take? Um, so is it the risk of looking different than our friends who are all a part of grind culture or, or even if you're in a group of friends who I have a girlfriend, she is the queen of, I love her, but she, she, we had decided to zoom, to have a zoom call with our girlfriends. And she said, no, you know, this is my time for rejuvenation. And so, so then there's a pressure that, I mean, we can feel pressure to go both ways or either. So the risk becomes, what are we going to decide to, the vulnerability comes from deciding what are we going to risk doing differently? Um, And that's scary. And maybe even more scary now, I think I would encourage us and I'm encouraging myself to um, be consistent, like I said earlier, uh, and be willing to, are you all familiar with uh, the shadow self? So young, um, Jung, 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 a psychologist. Um, So it it originated in psychology, looking at the shadow self. There are the things about our personality that we don't necessarily like or aren't proud of. So jealousy, um, greed. I think if you took a biblical perspective, it could be some of what they call like the deadly sins. But these are the things that we're ashamed of. In this corona experience, though, it is... It, can, it is calling out some of those things, right? So being vulnerable might mean taking the risk to, to face those things, address those things, heal from those things, your childhood traumas. Um, you know, I talked about being single in this experience and it is forcing me to face some of my shadow or personality traits that I don't like around feeling abandoned, around feeling rejected. Uh, so for me, vulnerability is taking the risk to face those things about myself that maybe I haven't taken the time to face before. Right. I, I think one of the things that I can say is, so, I, and, I, and I have a friend who like has some really bad anxiety around COVID-19, like can't go outside, just very anxious. And, and it took me about a month to really get her to do teletherapy. Because I think one of the things, and, and, and maybe to talk about this a little bit, is that people around us think that we can just handle it because we may not be as frantic or even frantic at all you know, about it. We may not be anxious or we may not be. And so they're like, well, I need you to support me. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm still going to therapy. So I'm gonna need you to go to therapy as well. Mm-hmm. I think around this, the the topic around even therapy or even like if that therapist suggests medication, right? Mm -hmm. Still in a Mm -hmm. space in the black community, especially among black women, where we are very um, resistant to, to, to that. And so how, you know, what are some thoughts around that and how can we um, help demystify that in terms of wellness? You know, I think it takes um, the people who are, it takes vulnerability from people who are either on medic, taking medication, seeing a therapist. It takes people like us, like you to, you know, when you talk to your friend, um, the, your friend is needing help, but you were vulnerable enough to say, well, I'm getting my own help. That perhaps gave her permission to get the help that she needed. Sometimes we'll, we are, we suffer in silence or we are, are 
we're keeping to ourselves the things that we're struggling with. And so when we take that risk to be vulnerable, then we free someone else up to, to do the same thing. Um, so vulnerability becomes so powerful. It is probably the hardest thing to do, but when we can see the rewards from it. Uh, so being transparent is the specific thing I would say. Being transparent uh, allows us to demystify, destigmatize, and having honest conversations about the outcome. So here's the here's the thing. I'm, we can tell people to go to go to therapy, but we have to also be honest to say that sometimes you get a, a there isn't the best fit with therapists. So we sometimes we do all of this work to get someone to go to therapy, and then they say, "Well, I hated the person. Um, they didn't really listen to me," and then they never want to go back. You have to be honest and say therapy is like any other relationship. You know, you connect differently with different people, so it may take you. Um, it's not a it's not a perfect. It's not a fix-all. It won't happen overnight. I also have to tell people therapy is a process, just like self-care is a journey and a process, just like understanding our roles as administrators is a process. You're not going to go to therapy once or twice and come and come out anxiety healed, right? So we have to manage expectations. So I think transparency, managing expectations, uh, normalizing Fancy way of saying that if somebody says that they feel strange for something, we tell them, you know what, that's actually human. Uh, so your friend having a lot of anxiety about Corona, that makes sense. To letting her know that, you know what, it makes sense to be scared because this is a scary thing happening versus the conversation of us saying um, everything's going to be okay. Um, it's not going to be that bad. Um, saying things that minimize are always uh, negative because they dismiss someone's really lived experience. And if someone has a, an experience of feeling something, their feelings are valid. And we don't, it, it, is, it isn't our job to try to tell someone to feel differently. It's to hold space with them. It's to allow them to feel what they're feeling um, so that they can know that they can move through that feeling. The challenge for us is we are trying to avoid the feeling. The truth is holding, this, uh, holding space for someone, allowing them to feel it, lets them know that the feeling of sadness, anxiety, depression, whatever it is, that it won't overtake you. Um, transparency, being, um, allowing ourselves, uh, normalizing what we see as difficult behavior and saying that it's okay for it to be difficult. Those are, those are some of the intentional things that I think you can do for your friend. And you've already sound like you've done that did more a, than, a you know, a great session and she finally did it and it helped. And so then being able to keep an uh, important thing there is to be able. So sometimes we have all this anxiety about something. We avoid it. We do it. Um, and then we need to close the loop. We need to say, we need to be able to process and say, wow, as, as much as I resisted that, this has been good and being able to internalize that this was a good thing. And you all may be having some follow-up conversations. So she's not just talking to her therapist. You all are also processing, hey, how impactful was this? This is the bomb. I just, I just want to say thank you because I yes. feel like I've not had yes. to have, like, because I feel like so much of what we do as Black women is pouring. Mm. our whole selves into people taking care of the village supporting 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 you need me what do i need to like what how can i show up for you like mm -hmm. this is, 
I just appreciate your transparency, but I appreciate the, just so much of what you said has just resonated. Like, I was just like, man, I don't, I don't know. I need to work on that. Like, I appreciate this. You're and welcome. I, and, I, and I appreciate your intentionality um, and how kind of, like, I just see your purpose just showing up in the ways that you support others. Like, I just, it's powerful. And I appreciate that. Thank you. One of the things we often struggle with is receiving, right? We did, you just talked about <laughs> You talked about how we pour into others. So I'm just going to say thank you. Yeah. Because there's a part of me that wants to be like, "Oh, thank you. I'm just going to say thank you." And so that receiving piece is, is critical. It's tough. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here struggling like I struggle with it too. Like for me, it's you know I feel like I'm just whatever I do for anyone. It's it's just who I am. I don't need any accolades, no thank you. Just you know I'm just doing because I've been led to, or this is just who I am. And so it it takes a lot sometimes for me to accept compliments. And even mm-hmm. when someone says a compliment or says thank you, I return with oh you, you know I'm just doing what I do and but I don't allow myself to receive it, own it, and let it just sit there. And the more we can do, that is actually self-care. Like we define mm-hmm. self-care as all of these, again, all these things we do. Sometimes it's the things we don't do. So right. not deflecting, right? Mm-hmm. Just deciding with intention that today, if someone gives me a compliment, I'll receive it. Right. That, We're going to need a, um, uh, a part two. I'm game. I'm game. I'm here. <laughs> Man, like, you know. No, seriously. I think, like, when we talk about ways in terms of incorporating, like, how can we bring in students to this mix? Yeah. Like, to ju- especially, like, upcoming student affairs pre- professionals, you know, they need to, to see what that looks like. They need that modeled for them before they hit the gate. Yeah. That speaks to what we said earlier about um, how do we change? How do we make change? Bringing in students or having them have that conversation where they are then means that they become professionals who see self-care differently and then they bring a different part of themselves to the workforce, right? And when they become supervisors, and so that's the systemic change that I was saying that it happens at all levels. We need to be doing this with the babies. Like my best friend, she's the she's a principal of a, of a charter school and I've gone and done some professional development for her staff. And in doing that for her staff, they have created like a mindfulness room. But the mindfulness room isn't just for the staff. They let the students come. The, there are times throughout the day when the mindfulness room happens for the students and they do yoga. Um, but then, but her, her charter school, they, it's from kindergarten to eighth grade. So we're not even just talking about high school students. We're also talking about the babies and, and they need this too. So that then when mommy is on the toilet, they can understand like, okay, I need a moment because then they, we can encourage them to go take their own self-care moment. So it, it, it becomes teaching at all levels. We can't just work on changing ourselves. We're trying to change a community. Yeah. So. And it models, right? Because then you <laughs> see that that mommy doesn't need to take on the weight of the world. Yeah. It is okay for mm-hmm. her to be mm-hmm. everything, but also it's, it's okay for her mm-hmm. to be everything to herself as well. Yeah. And I think when you um, 
allow and, and assist in the, the external factors around you to participate in self-care, it ultimately helps with your own self-care um, too. So yep. That, that, mm-hmm. that's, that's big. This, as we were just, you know, kind of sharing these last sentiments, it made me think of if we really do have a part two, how we want to talk about our elders. So we talked about our supervisors. Right. But if we're thinking about changing this community uh, around self-care, I think, and I don't even know if it's about changing our elders. I wonder, I'm thinking about my grandmother who's no longer here, but uh, she bought into the work grind culture or she bought into unhealthy self-care practices. Let me, let me the unhealthy practices around taking care of herself. She bought into that. And then she shared that with my, my mom and my mom's sisters, my mom and my mom's sisters then shared it with me and, you know, my cousins. And so out of respect for my grandmother, if my grandmother would say, you need to be up doing X, Y, or Z or promoting this sense of anxiety, you know, I guess talking about how do we have those conversations, the intergenerational conversations, essentially, we're talking about having it with the babies, then we also want to be talking about, so my father is 83. And he, um, self-care is something he needs right now in the midst of COVID-19, but he still goes out of the house and doesn't wear a mask. See, you know what? So, you know. So he, self, he doesn't understand this self-care concept seems fluffy to him, right? But, it, but then he, but then it creates anxiousness for me. And so I've had to set my own boundaries around that. So yeah, again, in our next thinking intergenerationally, how do we have that dialogue? That's, that's dope. Um, so with that, because <laughs> we'll be here all night. Um, so let's lead into some closing questions that we typically um, ask all of our guests. So the first is, what are some books that you're reading that you would like to recommend to our guests? And we're going to add those books to our Good Read collection. Mm-hmm. I've kind of been dropping some all along, all along the way, right? I talked about um, The Four Agreements. Yes. Yep. Yes, we got that one. <laughs> um, currently, though, the book I am absolutely loving and I have had to, I'm actually not reading it, reading it. I am audiobooking it, which for me is reading. Uh, it is called Joy Seekers. I'm going to give you the author. So Joy Seeker by Shannon Kaiser. It says, let, uh, the subtitle is Let Go of What's Holding You Back So You Can Live the Life You Were Made For. She talks about um, this concept of allowing joy, that joy isn't something you find, it's something you allow. And she talks about how, um, so it is is a self-care book at its core about how you allow yourself to go with that rhythm that we've talked about earlier. And um, it is just, I can't articulate how good this book has been for me. There have been moments on my walks where I have been like, wow, I I have a note section. I'm going to refer to it really quickly. Um, Just the the tidbits that I'm getting from this. um, So some of the things, um, so this is even a, a powerful statement. Instead of focusing on finding your purpose, which I think if we go to this idea of grind or, or, or um, imbalanced and working extent, extensively because we're trying so hard to 
say what our purpose is, decide, instead of focusing on finding your purpose, decide to live more on purpose. And when for me, the, dif- the distinction there was um, if we tie it to our conversation here, um, you know, the anxiety around whether or not I'm doing enough or being enough versus saying the task I'm doing right now, I'm going to give it my best. Once I've given it my best, I release the anxiety associated with it and know that the outcome of that then gives me a little bit more information about what my next step is. So letting, so what I hear in that is letting go of the need to have all of the answers and that once you let go of the need to have all the answers that would that allows you to be more present and learn from what um the the lessons you're supposed to get from the season you're in i'll give you one more um so this one is uh self-acceptance is the highest form of happiness so if we're always talking about we want to be happy self-acceptance accepting who you are today where you need to be um and, and that you're doing self-acceptance then, you know, instead of trying to be someone else, focusing on what other people are doing, comparing yourself, that then happiness and joy, you allow it in when you are, when you are connected to self. Um, so I just, so I mean, I, it's just, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So Joy Seeker is my current book. I also, you know, in terms of the, I am, I read the last book I read, read, and it was a reread for me was, um, Brittany Cooper's Eloquent Rage. Um, that talks about, uh, our, our black our experience as black women. I think she also gives us the permission to be our free and true selves. Um, and then the nerd in me, and I say nerd because this book is very technical, but it is a it is a awesome book about how I talked earlier about how we have to redefine our thoughts around, and then once we do that, our behaviors will shift. The name of this book is Words Can Change Your Brain, um, Conversation Strategies to Build Trust, Resolve Conflict, and Increase Intimacy. Uh, and it's, it's written by a neurologist and, um, and an MD, but they're essentially looking at the narrative you have going on in your head about what you should or shouldn't be doing, right. that if you can change that, the words, so words can change your brain, but if you, so if you change that, you're literally changing the synapses in your brain and you can change, um, your responses to um, other people in your engagement with them. And when you change your responses to other people, then you can improve relationships and improve relationships improves your, um, your total lived experience. So changing the narrative in your head and it gives the science behind that, hmm. that one I, I love, but just got to listen to, you got to listen to the chapters over and over again or reread the chapters over and over again. Gotcha. So we got the four agreements. Mm-hmm. A joy seeker, eloquent rage, and words, and can, words change. can change your brain. Awesome. Yep. So what about music? What are some songs or genres of songs that you're listening to right now that's kind of keeping you motivated? Mm, so I think a lot of people, we watched the, and I haven't watched it all, but the Clark Sisters uh, Lifetime. Oh, okay. <laughs> so gospel, so gospel, gospel music. I I kind of my self care kind of zen self. I normally listen to, uh, I normally listen to to tones. 
honestly. So if you, music has beats per minute. So right. 528 hertz is considered, considered the miracle tone. So honestly, what I tend to listen to that calms me is the miracle tone, 528 hertz. Or there's another one is 741 hertz. So beats per minute. Uh, the, that's supposed to release anxiety. So literally it's just a tone. And, and when you go take a yoga class, often that's the music that they're playing in the background. But I listen to the miracle tone. It literally clients, anybody that comes in my office, that's always playing. So that I've been listening to those sounds in my home, but gospel music, taking it back to what I said about the Clark sisters, since the, um, COVID-19, I have been going back, I have been listening over and over to, um, um, ooh, um, Deliver Me by Donna Lawrence and, um, yes, um, Tri-City Singers. Yeah, well, Leandria Mm -hmm. is the lady who sings with it, and she's, um, her words are, you know, Lord, deliver me. Um, and from the things and she talks about getting in her own way. And I find myself just, you know, kind of in tears listening to that song over and over again. And it's a cathartic, it's a good release. Um, so I'm in here bouncing back and forth between this Zen yoga kind of tones, healing, healing tones and gospel music. We, you brought out the clock sisters and I ain't going to stay on it too long because we'll still be here, but that would be a great, episode to talk about in terms of black women and mm-hmm. church yeah. yep. yep so we talk about the intergenerational and then we can talk about religion and how religion can often how it's interpreted and what right. your theology is right mm-hmm. your practices that then it can seem incongruent yeah. with Woo, that thing that's a whole nother topic because yeah, because you know if you if Twitter was on fire the night yes. the Clark sisters premiered, yes. you could as it so should much. have been. <laughs> yeah, there was so yeah. much to talk. There's church. so many layers to it. Oh yeah, um, her church came up. All kind of stuff came up. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a lot. The only thing, and one of the things that I keep hearing is seven children. Um, but anywho, <laughs> y'all some haters don't judge her. She living her best. Bless. I'm not, but I was I not expecting was, seven children. Listen, I, there was an interview that talked all about it. I mean, I feel like I went down the rabbit hole and found all the information. <laughs> it was so, it, I was, I couldn't help it. It was like two o'clock in the morning. I was like, get off oh. of the website. Yeah, well, we're, we're definitely going to have to break that down um, sometime. So the last question we have for you, Dr. Ray, is uh, what does this podcast, Black Women Voices podcast, mean to you? I alluded to it a little earlier when I talked about community um, and I said that we are wired for connection. I think this podcast for me and for the women who are blessed um, by the episodes, um, it's, it is a community of sisters who can uphold and uplift us, who can, um, everything we've talked about today, who give us permission to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, who tell us we're not alone in the things that we're feeling and that we're thinking. Um, and I think for me, when, when I talk about community, it is a part of the healing process. So I think this podcast for me uh, represents 
uh, a form of healing that is specific to us as black women. I don't know. And I've, I've never been an, another, a, a woman of another race. So I can't say what their experience is, but what I'll say that there's something unique and special when we have conversations and sister circles and um, accountability communities. And this podcast provides that space and is so critically important. Uh, and I think that the, the work you're doing, I encourage you to continue, continue moving forward, continue to, um, have the conversations that matter, have the difficult conversations. I, you know, I talk about vulnerability, community connection and all that's the feel good stuff. But I think we do ourselves a disservice when we're not also having the difficult conversations. So I think this gives a safe space to do that. So. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Any last words? Um, well, it has been a pleasure. Um, I encourage anyone who's been listening to, uh, if you take anything away from this, um, take away that you have permission to take care of yourself and that in doing so, your life um, can be that much fuller, but that, that it's a journey and it's not always going to be easy, but you don't have to do it alone. Um, I would say self-care is essential, intentional, and um, let's do it. Let's continue. Let's continue to engage in self-care together. Yeah. Awesome. Co-hosts, do you all have any final remarks? No, none other than today was was definitely needed. And I think it's so interesting how our topics, mind you, we plan these topics way in advance, but time every time. And so I just appreciate you joining us today, Dr. Ray. Um just dropping us with dropping so much knowledge on us. We need that for sure. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Thank you so much. This has been very awesome. And it's I my privilege. I appreciate the work that you do, right? I think that we don't tell the people that enough. Like I appreciate mm-hmm. really, really all of us are doing right now mm-hmm. um, in this time because it is not a, it's not a light lift. Mm-mm. No. Ooh, and that like, makes me that makes me think too i know i already gave my last remarks it's okay to take breaks when you said it's not a light lift yeah um so i did all this talk about being intentional focusing in and listening to my books and yeah and there are some days where i don't do any of that okay and there's no judgment and there's no judgment no judgment yeah because we the challenge has been in most instances we pe- we're painting this unrealistic picture and we're not going to do that anymore. Right. So. You, you, you hear what she said? She said, we're not going to do it anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> we're not Let's listen. Just like, just like that, you know, Auntie Maxine's reclaiming our time. Let's reclaim our time for our own well-being. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Black Women Voices. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and on Facebook at Black Women Voices. 
Until next time, be safe and be blessed.